Hi guys, welcome back to Veteran State of Mind podcast. Back down in London, recording today. Um, got an old instructor of mine on show, as you know, uh, because of my essence. You, most of you will know or will assume that I was a PTI at some point in my army career. It's where they send all the best-looking blokes, most muscular blokes, most handsome blokes, to go and get a bit of training so that you can beast people over obstacle courses, uh, take care of the fatties, and all that kind of stuff. So um, when I was down there, there was an instructor who uh, he stuck out for me because um, not only was he putting us through the, the bare minimum curriculum of the course, he was actually taking time out to try and educate us on what would come after the military. Because he already started, um, he had a, a company uh, called State of Mind Fitness, which is obviously, we, you can see where this is going to tie in. Um, working as a successful PT in his own time. And, and I didn't really realize back then how fucking really switched on that was to be making the transition to Civvy Street while you're still in uniform. We'll go into that a bit later, but um, that really stuck out to me at the time. I reached out to him, um, reached out to him when I started personal training myself. He gave me some more help, which I really appreciated. And then um, reached out again when I started doing the podcast, and I'm glad that we finally been able to sit down together. Uh, Baz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, Baz got a bad throat, but it does sound Ali, as I've already told him, so I think... Actually, a bit jealous. Sounds like a bit of a, like a British jock or willing kind of like a gravelly voice. Do you want to give a little spiel about um, your kind of background, mate? Like um, where where you came from in the military, and um, you know, kind of a little bit about what you're doing in Civvy Street now. Uh, yeah, I uh, grew up in West London, a place called Labrick Grove, and I left Labrick Grove when I was 19, May the third, 1999. I remember it well. Um, went down to Limston, joined the Royal Marines. Uh, became a physical training instructor in the Royal Marines in July 2005. And then left the Royal Marines with my last draft or uh, posting, as you call it, in the Army, uh, being at the Army School of Fit, the Royal Army School of Physical Training, as it was, as it changed to when I was there, um, in 2000 and... 2010. 2010, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah um, and you did you did Afghan in, was it, was which one did you do? Is it 07 one? Did you, I did uh, 08, 09. 08, 09. Herrick 9, it was right. Afghan with 4 5 Commando. Right. All Marines. Yeah. yeah. And, and now you work, uh, you've got, um, you got a gym down in ha- is it Hammersmith, is it? So, yeah, what happened was when I was in Afghan, um, oh, I loved the call. I didn't think I ever wanted to leave. Um, I was in a place called Patrol Base Wishton, which was to the east of Sangin. And it, didn't have like any electricity or any running water mm. there. So every now and then we'd have to pop back to the main fob in Sangin to do a resupply where we could use the internet. And I joined Facebook. I'm no. I'm not really like a, I'm not very modern, I'm a bit old school. <laughs> and, um, I went to an all boys Catholic school, but I did A-level PE at a mixed sixth form college. And the first girl that I ever sat next to was my current girlfriend. Right. And uh, when I was in Afghan, I, I I stalked her a little bit, come up. <laughs> and um, she sent me a message back and we started sort of uh, messaging each other. She sent me some nice letters out. And for the first time in about 11 years, it was them. I didn't want to be in the core anymore. Right. And we got a dog, a beautiful dog called Sadie. So that's, that's it then, mate. Game she, over. <laughs> and uh, so I I decided to, you know, I didn't know anything else was a PTI. I thought, I thought being a PTI in CV Street would be easy. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, which it isn't, and it wasn't, and still isn't. Yeah. So I set up a company. Yeah. And then, uh, well, I just want to tell people as well that the, um, you know, to be a PTI in the the Marines is a step up to be, them being a PTI. You know, the, being a PTI in the army, it's like yeah, you do have to be fit. And so, but we're not talking 
were insane levels. But you know, marine PTIs, I would say, you know, they're ridiculously because I mean, you've already got a very high base level of fitness throughout the core, right? As it is, That's and then and then to be a PTI again on top of that. So, like, what kind of um, what kind of training did that entail? What kind of selection and stuff to become a, a Marines PTI? Because I know there'll be some people listening with you know, like, I, there's a lot of people message me who are looking at the Marines as a as a job opportunity, so this is probably something that interests them. That's that's really nice of you to say that, yeah. and uh, you, you're right. But it's 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 going to sound like I'm not selling my soul here. I'm not because I no. love the Royal Marines. I love the yeah. Royal Marine PTI branch. But when I went to the Royal Army School of Physical Training, I was probably a little bit arrogant, right? Which you kind of taught to be. But there's a lot of stuff yeah. that the Royal, uh, the, the Royal Army Physical Training Corps do really, really well as well. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's like supply and demand. You supply for what you actually need. Mm. But to become a Royal Marine Peter, I had different. The main difference is the Marines is a corps, whereas the Army, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> is made up of separate corps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you are first and foremost in the Royal Marines, a commando, Royal Marines commando. Um, but I remember being at Limpstone, going from my recruit training, and just thinking the PTIs were like gods, mm. and I just wanted to be like that. And you know, for those of you who don't know me, I don't look like your typical PTI. I am. I haven't got a suntan. I ain't got any hair. <laughs> pretty rats. But I love training. I've always loved training uh, for many reasons. So you have to go on an aptitude, and they run about two or three them a year. Um, and I think you normally have about just a little selection course. Yeah, yeah it's like five, four or five days long. Just absolute um, thrashing. It's a thrashing, but it's theoretical as well. Oh, great! That's a awesome. lot, quite a big chunk of it is about delivering classes. Mm. The Royal Marine PTIs use a mnemonic called Kimpies. K I M P I E S, which is the attributes of a Royal Marine physical training instructor: knowledge, instructional ability, mannerisms, personal appearance, infinite patience intact, enthusiasm, and self-criticism. And they emphasise a lot on class taking as well. So the whole the whole syllabus back then, it might have changed since mm. then, was like the first sort of 11 weeks was command and response. Right. But you can't just command someone to the top of a rope. Yeah. I think that's a really important distinction, though, that like some people might miss, is that uh, to be a PTI, like an, an army PTI, it's physical training instructor. You know, like, so you're not just there to beast people. You know, like you are there to instruct people. You're there to teach people. And that could be teaching someone in the proper technique of getting on an obstacle course. And I think um, I think I saw this when, so one of the, uh, I'll use an example from yourself. When we were um, doing our warm-ups, you know, it used to be back in the day, a warm-up would be static stretching followed by straight into a fucking run. And then they wonder why everyone's hamstrings were snapping and stuff. But I remember like, when we were doing the warm-ups, it was like, we, you know, we start with like the, you know, it's like a mobility kind of test, you know, moving your wrists, moving your ankles, all that. But then I remember when it stuck in my mind, because I used to use this myself, was the, you'd get people to do movements where um, it was something that they could tag onto something that they were doing in real life. So it was like, as you're warming up, you do like kicking the door. So you lift your foot up, put your foot forward, and you're doing it in slow motion. But it's these things of like, oh yeah, you, oh yeah, see why we're doing that now. Because it's like, if, you, if you're struggling to lift your leg up in PT kit, and you haven't got hamstring flexibility or anything. How the fuck are you going to kick a door through? Yeah. You know, and it's things like that. And I follow this. Um, I follow a guy on um, uh, Instagram, Coach Mike Ch- Coach Mike Chadwick. He's a, a core instructor up in Catrick now. And I've had a couple of chat- chats with him, and really enjoy following his stuff because it's, it's 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 my window into how far the army's coming in terms of. Um, you know the tests and things that they do. I don't know if you've seen the new tests that they've got. They've they've got kind of like they're trialing these new tests, or I think they're bringing them in actually. And it's way more um, geared to actual 
operations than the old you know yeah exactly specific so like did you see a big change in that from when you first came in to when you left yeah i did and i didn't i remember uh as a recruit at limston it was initial military fitness with one or two strength sessions a week and then it kind of went away from that and it kind of went full circle back to that i think oh I'll sound a bit off the the Richter scale. I think all fitness is very simple. It all sounds very complex because yeah. it all derives from ancient Latin and Greek words, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, which sounds point. complex. But it's a great point. Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. Yeah, um, and there's a big difference between simple and easy. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something that people confuse all the time. Like I'll get people messaging me, and they'll be like, "Oh, I want to get better at pull-ups. What should I do? Pull-ups." Like, of there's okay, there's other things that can be done. Yeah. But if you're not doing pull-ups, you're not going to get better. You know, like, that is the, that's a, a simple answer. It's not an easy answer. Fucking pull-ups are hard, you know. But I think I think now we get into a, we're in a society where a lot of times people want, either they want a magic bullet or they also want, they think, oh, if I have a 50-stage training plan, that's going to help me. It's like, look, yeah, it might do, but so's just fucking keeping it simple and, you know, going back to basics. It's, I, 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 I'm a good one for like Chad quotes and one of the quotes I use is uh, we must all suffer one of two things the pain of discipline or the pain of regrets and disappointment yeah I love that if you're disciplined and you've got structure and you're constructive as opposed to destructive then uh, not everything is achievable when people say anything's possible it's, it's not possible to fly off a building mm. but it is possible to get closer to the aims but you, need, you do need a structured plan, but you don't have to overcomplicate those plans. You know, you want to do pull-ups, look at the muscles you use. Yeah. Think about how you use them, the range you use them in. Think about the muscles that assist them and start training those muscles. Regress something, progress it, progress it more. It's so what he means by regress or progress is basically, so let's say you go to a, let's say you go and try and do a pull-up, you can't do a single pull-up. A regression would be you could use like bands you know, to give you a to give you help up, or you could use an assisted pull up machine or something like that. That would be a regression. A progression would be you stick a dumbbell between your legs and make it a bit harder, or you know, a weight belt, or get your mate to pull down on your legs. You know, there's so there's always like there's always ways of making exercises. I don't want to say easier because it's not easy because it's like your that's your limit at the time. So you should always be working to. So like if you can do fucking if you can do pull ups, don't go and do an assisted one. You know, that's that's not working any muscles group. You have to constantly push it. Which is one of the things I fucking love about fitness, mate. And it's one of the reasons I think everyone should exercise is because if you're doing it properly, it never gets easy because you should constantly be, you know, in, it's those in, incremental, you know, limits on it. I have that all the time with clients. They like, say, oh, it's, it's not getting easier, it's getting harder. Yeah. But as they get fitter, obviously I don't want to just take yeah. their money. I want, I want them, so I want to keep pushing them. So I make things slightly harder. And uh, yeah, I mean, I get another little saying who's anything in life that is easy usually isn't worth having. Yeah. But sometimes a rest day is as good as a training day. You know, you, again, you've got to be really constructive your training. And years ago, it was all about graft, 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 and eventually you'd fatigue. Um, yeah. Since I've left the court, I've done quite a few studies. You know, in, in, I've just developed myself, really. You know, going back to Kimpy's self-criticism. Mm. It's a very egotistic um, industry, this. And you get a lot of people who think they know better than the rest. I don't think anyone really knows better than the client how they feel, but what that client might not have is knowledge. Yep. So you might need to use, you know, you might read one book that says do a pull up this way. Yep. Obviously the guy that wrote that book or the girl that wrote that book obviously know 
what they're talking about they've had a book published mm. but you might have someone who's wrote a different book mm. equally as quali qualified equally as intelligent mm. and they might slightly contradict that yeah. they're both right just keep them in your in your brain because you never know and every person is different anyway like that person might have had a, a shoulder injury in the past which means that they can't do overhand pull-ups but they can do underhand ones exactly. so you know there's a like it's um, there's definitely not one size fits all i mean so just to give people um because i i don't think I've talked about this. So, when I was uh, when I left the army, I did um, I did personal training for a short period of time, basically until one day I turned up for work on my birthday and the fucking gym was locked its doors because they hadn't paid their rent and it fucking took my money and you owe me a tub of protein that was left in the fucking gym, you fuckers. Um, but yeah, I, I did. You know, I went from PTI to civvy PTI. I did that for six months and then when I started to get into writing, I started to do it again as like a supplemental income and then it just wasn't. You know, I just started doing the writing full time. So I do I do have a bit of a small amount of experience in the industry and I think it's one of the most interesting industries in um, you know in the country because there's such variety in it it's like if I go see a doctor I'm going to get pretty standardized treatment or um, level of expertise but when it comes to um, civilian personal trainers the difference are like what people on paper are the same in reality can be so much fucking different like you could go to somebody who is you know like a background like yourself Royal Marine PTI um, uh, and you know you're a personal trainer right or you could go to someone who's just left college they've done the bare bones uh, PT courses and realistically I'm sorry to say this people those courses mean you can scrape through those courses and not know fucking anything um, and I, 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 I think when, you know, if you go to gyms, if you go to the commercial gyms, you see some of these PTs, like, standing next to standing next to a treadmill with a clipboard and stuff. And people, you know, people paying out their money for that. And I just think it's it's very it's a very interesting industry that you're working in, mate, because, like, you've probably seen it come on in, di you know, in different ways. But do you feel like it's all moving in a forward direction or is there, like, some steps back that it's been taking? Or? It's very, I mean, if you've ever been down to my gym... I don't know if you have you been. No, no. It's, um, I have experienced your your sessions though. So. Yeah, I don't do anything. So my unique selling point is I'm a raw marine PTI, mm -hmm. and I don't try and do anything that I'm not. So we've got I think 207 members. It's a small railway arch, sweaty, it's horrible. All the equipment in this top of the range. Um, if you've ever seen the film Dodgeball. <laughs> it's a bit like the dodgeball gym, not a globo gym. Yeah, we global have um, gym. we have all the posh clients from Brackenbury Village. Yeah, we have all the council state uh, scumbags, as I call them, <laughs> who, uh, like myself. Um, we have some some really good boxers, some really famous boxers, mm. some not so famous boxers that are trying to make their way. Uh, there's a great atmosphere, though. We have all types of people. Yeah. I'm saying there's, there's no there's no ego in yeah. the gym. Come in a gym, you just got to work hard. Um, it doesn't mean that you if you're not as fit as the person next to you you can't work hard you work to your limits yes and I'll try and do that um, you know, we also have a lot of villains that come in the gym you know it's, uh, it's a real real weird mix but what I deliver in there is basically what I spoke about earlier Kimpies mm. but I also you know want to continuously expand my own knowledge so um, I'm always on the lookout and reading books studying stuff doing the odd course to see what is current but I never try and make a square peg for a round hole. Yeah. Um, and it's about what they want as well. I think a lot of people, it's like, let's say your thing is like, let's say somebody's a, a PT who enjoys bodybuilding. 
they get a client in and they start putting them through all bodybuilding things. It's like that's not what you know everybody wants. Some people might you know they might want. I think what I think what you did very well and, and this something I picked up from the PTI school was to make things more. Like, you can do so much with just somebody's body to begin with. You know, you're talking a kit. But then it's to make things, these, these using our body and moving our body. So everything, like most machines um, in a gym, are, it's like forward and backwards, basically, isn't it? But our bodies aren't designed to move like that. We're designed to twist. We're designed to go sideways, forward, backwards, on an incline, you know, all these different movements. And I think, um, you know, I think that's something you definitely deliver in your, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it. Your thing is you get in the body moving in all different ways. So that it can't just adapt to I'm going forward, I'm going backward. Like so many people get injuries and stuff when they they might be a big bulk, might have a lot of muscle, but you know they lean forward to pick something up and they slightly twist, bump back on because they've never gone through that range of motion in their training. You know, so you know it's it's. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to catch on to that now to get people moving in more natural movement patterns rather than you know sticking everyone into machines. I remember when I was at Old Shot, a big thing that was coming in into the Royal Marines and the Army was uh, functional fitness. Right, yeah. Um, they were bringing in a lot more, like in the battle PT sessions, they were making it very functional towards Afghan. I mean, Afghan was still, still a good few years left in Afghan at that point. Mm. And I think, again, fitness tends to go around in circles. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years, am I, am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'm just checking. Sorry, I'm just checking. What, what I've noticed over the last couple of years is uh, a lot of the other gyms that are popping up around London a lot of them are sort of aiming towards what they call functional fitness. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I, 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 I think anyone that tries to deliver fitness is doing a good job. Yeah. You know, because it's about longevity. Yeah. Um, you know. It's definitely like, look, if, if anyone's listening to this and considering a career in fitness, I'll tell you what, it's very real, a very rewarding job. Like when you get a client come in and he'll, like, um, I, I've had, um, I'll tell you this as well, most of the clients I had were female. And I think the reason why is because women are better at listening to criticism than guys are straight up like they can accept it without the e guys have a lot of ego and it's 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 a stupid thing because we sometimes guys think oh i'm a guy and should know about this stuff well if you've never been taught it you shouldn't know you don't need to know mate so don't worry about that but it's like they're like definitely with young blokes as well like young blokes don't take criticism in the gym very well and by criticism i mean constructive criticism yeah. which is you know not just like you fucking shit at pull-ups um but, you know, I had some clients who literally started crying when they realized that they lost a certain amount of weight. I'm sure you've had some incredible experiences like that. And I tell you what, mate, it's not, there's not much more fulfilling things than that, is there? Oh, I've had, uh, I've had, I could tell you numerous stories about this. I had uh, a girl who was coming in the gym. Uh, name, I don't know if I should say her name. I don't know if she'd like it. Her name was Katie Skipper, who's actually gone into fitness now. I think she thinks I don't like her. I don't dislike her. She was hard work, <laughs> really hard work. Lovely girl, really enthusiastic. She had the E of Kimpy's enthusiasm, like down to a uh, T. And she initially came into the gym to lose some weight. And she was really, really, she got really fit, got really into it, and she wanted to box. We do a lot of boxing in the gym as well. We do sort of white collar boxing and professional boxing. And she wanted to box. And what you were saying about women taking on criticism about, I've noticed that females as novices are a lot easier to teach as boxers. Right. They listen. They're not so much alpha maleist all the right. time. They just want to hit things. They realise that <laughs> actually it's a skill. Yeah. And it's about foot movement and, you know, your feet can get you in and out of trouble. And Katie really picked up well on the pads and moved. But then every time she got hit in the face, she'd cry. But I mean, like, even if it was not, even if it was like, you know, you can't go swimming without getting wet. You are, <laughs> go, you are going to pun get punched in the face if you, get, yeah. if you box. Yeah. And she would literally, and then when she eventually fought, 
think she sold about 30 tickets, which was good for the night. And um, you would have thought she won a world title. Mm. She was jumping around the ring. And I mean, that fight that night actually cost me money. It cost the show right. money, to, you know, because it's not easy to match girls boxing. And um, But it was worth every penny. Yeah, not from a business point of view, but from a to mor moral way, point yeah. of view, to see her happy. And that, that put a little bit of a smile on my face. Yeah. Um, there, there, I definitely think that like that is a rewarding job. And like one of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot, mate, is purpose. Like I feel we need a purpose in life. We need a mission in life. And um, I think a lot of, so like obviously in the military, you know, we, we were given a mission. We're given a purpose. We had that. I think a lot of civvies in, um, don't really find they have that. And a lot of them find it in fitness. Because, you know, you find these incredible people who are doing, like... So, like, some people I'm in school with occasionally, I'll go through Instagram and I'll be like, I'll see that they've just done the London Marathon or something. I'm thinking, fucking hell. I never knew that you were into that stuff. They're fucking... Play, like, you know what I mean? Like, people, if they're, they're... They might not... Their job isn't... Their job is a job. And it's not just, just pays the bills and whatever. But they found through fitness, they found something that's really, really just drives them. I, I feel blessed. I'm, as far as I'm concerned, I've never... I don't think I've ever had a real job. Yeah. You know, I was a delivery driver before I joined the Marines for about a year while I got fit. Then I was in the Royal Marines, which is an amazing job. It's not a real job. Yeah. It's right, mate, I tell people as well, I'm sure the Marines are the same. In the infantry, you have more time off than it's any other job bizarre. in the world. And then I then open the gym and I work long hours. Like Sometimes I work from five in the morning till ten. Yeah. But I love the job and I'd be lying if I said... I wasn't in it for the money. I think anybody that said that would be because money's important. Yeah, money makes the world go round. And I've yeah. got a daughter, uh, a husky, and a girlfriend that I like to, you know, put my share into the family. So money is important. First and foremost, you earn some money. But I also put a lot of time in with people that maybe haven't got the money for personal training. Right. But I do that because I do love. I love. I love coaching first and foremost, and I like trying to help people. And again, when you see someone, you know, uh, one of the lads on training at the moment is a pro. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he, he had a bit of a, not a rough start to life, but he had a good start. He's got a good family, but he just went on the wrong track for a little while, went to right. prison for a while. And now he's a, he's a really up and coming pro and could go on to win titles. And he's got his own daughter and, you know, he's in a nice relationship and he provides for them. And you can see now that he's realised he made mistakes just because he, just took the wrong turn in life. It's great that there's that path of redemption through sport, though, isn't it? Because to be honest, mate, like a lot of times now, I think especially where we are now with Twitter mobs and stuff like that, there are a lot of people, you make a mistake now, people want to write you off for, forever and that. And I, I think sport and the military is the same. There's people that back in the day, military was a way of, like, if, of paying your debt back to society. If you'd fucked up, you could waive your prison sentence in return for going, especially like in Vietnam. You know, they'd arrest people and you'd have a choice, prison or Vietnam. And it's a way of, like, re you know, repaying your debt. But I think sport especially, because it teaches you, like you are saying earlier, mate, discipline. You cannot be a good boxer if you don't have discipline. Look, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. And I learn every day. I have new lads that come in the gym, new girls that come in the gym. And I see them do something, I think, oh, I've never seen that before. And they've just learned on a new course. I try and train every day except for Sunday mm. I usually have Sundays off do I do it because I want to look like an Adonis I mean yeah I like being fit and I, don't, I still look good I'm 40 years old now I'm still really really fit but I do it because it, it's a release for me so if I'm having a hard day with paperwork with VAT yeah. stuff that I'm rubbish with I go and give myself a good old thrashing 
and it kind of clears my mind for a little while. How, how do you think you'd feel if you didn't do exercise for three days in a row? Oh, it breaks me. Right. It does. It, okay. Absolutely. So. One of the things I hate about Afghan the most is when we first got there. Don't get me wrong. We were yomping around with kit all the time. Yeah, but different. You know? It's different though, isn't it? But there was like we didn't have a gym. So mm. after three days when we was in a bit of a routine, I built a gym in the, yeah. in the patrol base. You know, built, built a pull-up bar out of some wood that we found, and and then eventually it came. And even the lads then, even though you're grafting, you might be doing seven-hour patrols. Yeah. The lads would still come back and do. Know, maybe 20 30 minutes of fizz. We used to be like, we, we, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> Actually, we had, um, when we were in Iraq, so a rocket attack and it hit what hit the gym, gym went on fire. Lads were running into fire to save the gym kit. <laughs> like, so there should be a victory, there should have been a Victoria Cross there for someone fucking saving the gym kit because that's how that's how important it was for lads. And we go out, mate, on, a, on an op all night, you're in the fucking back of the Warriors, but like fucking 70 degrees in them. You get back in the morning, and as soon as everyone's squared away on the jobs, you think everyone go to bed. Nah, lads going in the gym to get so the fucking it's a great way a pump of stressing. And, it, I, and it I have clients now that you know, you know, in real high-profile jobs where they're dealing with millions of pounds, mm. and it's a release from their from their everyday world. Um, and again, I have lads that just come in and just want to hit the bag because they might have had a yeah. a hard day with their, well, their missus or vice wait, wait. versa. I might have had a, a girl whose boyfriend's been away, and her, she'll come in and do. You know, a thousand burpees and <laughs> go away and feel better afterwards. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, at the very one of the things I always have a thing with people was people that say, I can't get to sleep. Like, there's so many people in this day and age who have apparently sleep problems. Do a thousand burpees, mate, you ain't have a sleep problem. Like, well, I, you are not having no, a sleep problem. I could sleep, I could sleep here right now. Yeah. As soon as I sit down, I'm on the go, so I'm like that, I'm knackered. But, that, that, but that's how we're supposed to be. Yeah. We're supposed to be that way, mate. We're supposed to be. And, like, you know, I'm a big fan of nappy naps. Love naps. If fucking. Um, if you're tired, take a twenty minute nap because that's what you're supposed to that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to nap. You're supposed to be able to fall asleep like that because you're supposed to be tired mentally and physically. It needs to be both. If all you're doing is stressing your mind, you won't be able to sleep. You know, you need to, to, to have that, you know, um you know, that combination of like we we we're we're basically fucking strategically shaved fucking chimpanzees. We're supposed to be you know, we're supposed to be on the move all day. You know, we'd be fucking, we'd be out there hunting, you'd be bending over, you'd be picking stuff up, you'd be climbing up trees. Like, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so I, 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 don't find, I don't find it surprising at all that when I talk to the happiest people I know, they're active. It doesn't necessarily mean that the gym bunnies, but they might be uh, sailors. You know, they might be like, because fucking sailboat, like proper sailing is, is graft. Like those blokes are grafting. But it's something, there's some activity that they're doing. When they're stimulating their mind as well. You know, yes. It's in as simple as you sit there and you, you steer the, uh, I mean, I've sailed to Jersey once on a core yacht. It's one of the, hard, one of the worst yeah. things I've done, let alone hardest. Um, I had to keep hoisting tank with the number one Genoa. Um, and it was, it was sleep deprivation. Mm. It was cold. If you went downstairs, you felt sick. So you go back upstairs, you'd be cold. <laughs> it was just uh, well, mate, was I was, what, what with the boxing as well, I think, is especially boxing. So one of the things I think, there's a lot of people talk about mindfulness now, meditation, big fan of meditation. But um, I do think that something like boxing is its own form of meditation because what I mean by meditation is you can't have anything else on your mind. So if you're thinking about anything other than boxing while you're boxing, you can get punched in the fucking face. You know, that, and that's going to bring your, that's going to make you focus very quickly. I think one thing that's like if you want a, a skill in life to, to make, if you want to be able to, if you want to be happy, if you want to be successful, the ability to focus is key. And I think, uh, I think, uh, boxing does that, but I also think that functional training does that as well. Because if you're doing a complicated movement where you you know you you're going through different axes and different ranges of motion, 
again, you have to be, if you're not concentrating on what you're doing, you're going to fuck up. And yeah. I think that, I think that's really important. There's, people think, they see the surface of everything. They see, all right, what is the benefit of the gym? It's muscles or less body fat. But there's all these other intrinsic things that are, you know, to me, mate, are more important than, do I love looking essence? Of course I do. <laughs> but no, but I... That they're, they're, I think as I'm getting older now, I'm 35 now. I'm starting to. I think I'm hitting the age where you start to learn lessons and actually let them sink in. I feel like I'm moving in that age, and um, I'm realizing now that like you know I took my I took my um, heart rate, started measuring my heart rate in the mornings. I don't have a Fitbit or whatever, but I just you know like have a proper one of those big fucking pumps that you get in the doctors. And I thought this is what I should be worrying about. What's my blood pressure? Yeah. What's my heart rate? Not not what not what's the circumference of my arms. Yeah. Like like as much as as much as that's important to my ego. When I'm 80 years old, it's not that's not gonna that's not gonna matter. I might not I'm not gonna get to 80 if I've got fucking hundred. Like I, I had a look, mate, and it was like the average heart rate was something like in the UK 180. Uh, sorry, 80 to 120. And I was thinking, like, imagine you're sat on the sofa and your heart rate is boom, 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 because that's what 120 heart rate is. Imagine that's your fucking resting heart rate. If you if you break it all down, it's uh. It's not surprising, really. I mean, two things happened. I, I had my daughter, and quite, I was quite old to be a dad. I was 37, she'll be three in June, when, when two weeks. Um, and I realised then that when, when she's 20, I'm going to be on getting on a bit. You know, when, she, when she's mm-hmm. 15 doing a sports day, or 10 doing a egg and spoon race, and I'm ultra competitive, and I want to win that egg and spoon race, yeah. most of the other dads are only 25. <laughs> oh, I want to be winning those races. I wanna, <laughs> if she comes home and her boyfriend's upset her when she's like 18, yeah. I want to be able to go and scare him still and be able to like, yeah. put my money yeah. where my mouth is. So I still train because I want longevity. I want good health. And then it made me look at my diet. So a lot of the boxers that I train, boxing is relatively a safe sport. It's seen as quite a thuggish, dangerous sport. And I get that you're getting hit in heads. But I think a lot of the dangers come when boxers are uneducated about how they make their weight for their weight category correctly. Right, so I just wanted to... Before, so like is it true that if you've been really dehydrated and stuff you're more likely to get concussed is that the well if you think about you think about your brain right mm-hmm. it's got a nice uh, protective layer cerebr- cerebr- cerebral fluid around it if you then dehydrate yourself to make weight which is a really uneducated but effective mm-hmm. way of making weight I don't condone it at all mm-hmm. I don't know my boxers doing it but sometimes it has to be done if they've miscalculated so in the old days, people would have put like a sweatsuit on and gone in a sauna yeah. and just got as much water out of them as possible and they'll make the weight. Brilliant. A couple of things are going to happen there. Firstly, it's dangerous because if you then get repetitively hit in the heads and there's less of a fluid there protecting your mm-hmm. brain, there's an increased chance then of there being a bleed because there's less protection. Right. It's like, you know, it's like anything. If you're wearing Osprey mm. and your spray's been damaged, yeah. there's more chance of the next round I'll spray his body armor for people sorry uh, going through an imp so if you dehydrate yourself you're making your head a little bit more susceptible to an injury also if you think about from a performance point of view you could probably get away with that over three or four rounds if you go into like a ten round fight and the other guy's done his way properly um, for example one of my boxers now is about to move in with me for three weeks he's fighting for a southern area eliminator and he's fighting a a former I think he might still be a current paratrooper right. um, called Connor Vian. Probably shouldn't give too much away in case he listens to this. <laughs> but I believe my box is better than Connor, mm. with all due respect to him. But I've also not arrogant or ignorant enough mm. to think that 
a paratrooper isn't going to be extremely fit. And I know that in the later yeah, rounds, he'll have mm -hmm. that mentality yeah. to keep going. So if Curtis does the weight wrong and then gets to round six or seven and starts to run out of steam, yep. I know that this lad, Connor, who's a para or former para, will most likely come on strong. Mm. So from a performance point of view, if you're going into like a championship fight, 10, 12 rounds, you you want the energy there. And if you've dehydrated yourself, you know yourself what happens when you dehydrate, you get away with it for a little while. But then when it, when it hits, it hits and your performance is going to be as good. So I do a lot of my boxers nutrition. So, and I constantly am trialing different types of, you know, ways to eat food with different nutritionists. So at the moment I don't eat, I very, very, very rarely eat dairy. I have an intolerance to it, which I didn't right. know for years, years. So how do you figure that out? Um, <clears throat> embarrassing really, I, uh, <laughs> what, 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 yeah, quite, I used to be like the phantom shitter around London. <laughs> And I go for a run. And uh, I always there, to, mate. I always thought it was down to coffee. Yeah. And then uh, even though I don't really buy into God, my parents are religious, so right. every Lent I would do something for Lent. And then one Lent I gave up milk. Yeah. I gave up like milk, sugar, all this sort of stuff. Like I'm going back about six years ago now. And uh, I noticed it stopped happening. And then through trial and error, I realised. That's mate. That's, trial and error milk. is so much important with our, our food. Isn't it? Like I've switched off. Um, I do vegan protein shakes now instead of the whey protein yeah. ones. And my like, my, I think like it's probably the best thing for humanity that I've ever fucking done. Because like like I say, mate, the same with. I don't have it. Sounds like as bad as you, but definitely the difference between a whey shake and a, a vegan one makes difference. We like we. We get into habits, don't we? And we never think to change to to do trial and error. When when I first joined the corps, it was all about substance. Mm. Get it down, yeah. Get it down. Like for breakfast, they'd give us two Mars bars as well, as well as like a fry up. Which yeah, you need energy. Yeah. But you got to think they're mass producing there for mm. a lot of troops. When you're producing for yourself, yeah, you need energy, but you can mm. be a lot more constructive. Yeah. I probably at the moment, and when when this lads in camp, we'll eat about six, seven times a day, mm. but we'll only eat certain types of food, what I call real foods. Um, so there'll be very, very little bread in the diet. Nice. Um, we'll exchange most rice and for couscous and quinoa. Nice. Again, you've got to be careful what couscous and quinoa you buy. You've got to look at the package, is it? Mm. You know, anything in life that's easy, usually my yeah. you get an yeah. easy, ready-made couscous. There's it's a reason so why it's easy. Like high, yeah, it's yeah. probably a bunch of salts in there yeah. and stuff like any, that. Any time the lads have fruit, we have a lot of fruit, which will spike our insulin. Mm. I'll give them a fatty nut or two or three, like a cashew nut or a Brazil yeah. nut, which will make them feel full, but will balance out the spike of insulin. Yeah, is that, is that, is that to the fibre and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, That's it's it. really, really, really simple. So, so I, I think, um, you know, again, like I just, uh, before PT, I always used to get up early, because like, no, obviously as a PT, I was taking PT. Last thing you want to be doing is like feeling like shit when you're doing it. So I used to get up, you know, extra early because I thought you've got to eat before you do PT. Now, mate, I get up first thing in the morning, I'll go to the gym, fasted, and I'll fucking smash the session, and I feel loads better training fasted. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but that works, it works for Again, me Again, really I think well. it I think goes down to an individual. Yeah. Um, you think about our backgrounds, we're probably conditioned to go out on patrol when you don't eat for all day, because yeah. you can't. You know, circumstances, you might, you might have had an ID, you might have been walking around for two days and had a packet of biscuit browns, which are like crackers. Yeah. Um, disgusting. <laughs> um, so we're probably conditioned to it more than yeah. your average civilian. But I know there's a lot of lads now that do intermittent fasting yeah. um, and trial it, and it works. Um, one thing I did do with one of my boxers, which I found the nutritionist got a spot on, it was conditioning my boxer to fast. 
And this is when I first heard about intermittent fasting. And this was back in 2013, 2014. So she gave him a fantastic nutrition plan. And I did it with him. And we was aiming to lose a kilogram a week. But it was made looking at our training methods as well. So we'd do a punching session in the morning, a little circuit. And then we'd do a long run on a Monday. Tuesday, we'd just do a big punching circuit, uh, session and circuit, no running. Wednesday, we'd do a punching circuit and a circuit. And then do a three-mile best effort run or the equivalent on a rower. Thursday, we'd do strength. Friday, we would do punching and a circuit. And then we do a hypoxic swim. And then Saturday morning, so we'd do a hypoxic sprints. swim, mate. Sort of expanding your lung capacity. So is that like you're spending a lot of time underwater, is it? Yeah, really simple. Just like me and you, I'd swim a length as far as under as I can because I swim like a piano. Come up, <laughs> get some air, go back under. When I get to the other end, you go. First couple are right. Two or three lengths in, you end up coming a bit up a bit more frequently. But then when, you, when that training plan was done with a nutrition plan and they worked as a balance together, after about two or three weeks, we started to burn fat. Mm. And we were losing a kilogram-ish, maybe a little bit under sometimes, um, throughout the time. But we knew that maybe when it got to the weigh-in, which, which was for this guy was a championship boxer, which was the day before the fight, that he'd probably have to fast a little bit or drink mm. a little bit less fluid the day before. So what we did for that 12-week camp was every Thursday evening from 4 p.m. till Friday at midday, we'd fast. Right. And that conditioned our body over three months so that when we did it for yeah. the fight night, it was no big deal. And you're not having to dehydrate or anything like no, that? No, yeah. and if you did have to dehydrate a little bit, a little, yeah, you'd been little. doing it for three months anyway. Because it's mad, mate, how much weight you can carry just in your guts from the past 24 yeah. hours. Like, that's... A, I've so... I, I very rarely, but occasionally I have done 24-hour fast where I've been like, you know what, feeling all right. Fuck it, let's push another four hours out and see what happens. And, you know, um, and I just go with... Um, you know, just kind of go with that. And, like, if, I, I feel like it's... Um, regardless of what it's good for for your body, I do think it's good for your mind to basically, anything in life where your mind is, so look, let's, it could be, for, I know there's a lot of young lads listening, so like, lads, this applies to you, porn. Having the ability to just say, I'm not watching porn for a month, and then sticking to that. Now, there's going to be the voice in the back of your head going to go, oh, I want to watch fucking porn. But, you're like, but like your mind takes over, you're like, well, no, you're not fucking watching it, because we said we're not, and we're fucking sticking with what we said. That ability to build discipline like that, I think it's so important. Discipline and a clencher. Yes. Yeah. Anything, not everything will work for everyone. Um, True. True. I have a lot of Muslims in my gym who've just finished Ramadan. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, like, that sounds hardcore. You know, I want to do that. And a lot of them say it's good because it gives them a cleanse for a month. Mm. Gives them... Again, they also have a massive scoff in the evening. Yeah, but then, then there's a flip side to that. Yeah. They, they said that it's going to help them lose weight. I'm saying, well, no, if you eat... You eat food at like midnight. Yeah. You know, well, because I think well, the, the way I used to see them doing it in Iraq and stuff is they'd sleep all day. And they basically, they just turn their days upside down. So they, they'd not eat in the day. But I'm like, well, you're sleeping. It's not really, that's not discipline. So again, you've got, you got to have that yeah. discipline. You've got, yeah, exactly. you got to be constructive with it. Um, yeah. But no, I think it's, I think, look, mate, I reckon there's a reason a lot of religions have got stuff like Lent and Ramadan yeah, yeah. built in because it's like, it teaches you discipline. Like, I, I you know, I'm not a religious person myself, but I can see some benefits in religion. How many times have you heard saying boxing is good for you teach you discipline All the time. military is good for you yeah. teach you discipline yeah. and I remember when I first joined the military I was like this is oh, can mm -hmm. I swear on it 
Oh, mate, fuck this yeah. This yeah. fucking <laughs> shit. What the fuck am I doing here? Sat in the fields on a fucking Thursday morning. Yeah. I was pissing down, doing century, wondering what your missus is doing in London. Yeah, nothing good. <laughs> but, but if you don't have that discipline to do it there, yeah. two, three years later when you're in an operational position, yeah. uh, environment, how are you going to have the discipline to do it then? Yeah. And, and, and I, I'll be the first one to say that I push back on haircuts, fucking sideburns. I always used to kick off about that stuff. Um, but like when, but there's other things that I ne- like. I do think is super important. Is um, tr- you know, fucking trigger discipline. For instance, if you ever see a picture, like you, literally, if you see a picture on the internet of someone with their finger on the trigger and they're not obviously in the aim, it jumps out at you. You're like, whoa, what the fuck is this cowboy doing? Like that, that goes back to what I was talking about, about the command and response phase of uh, the training at Limston. Um, there's a bit of a legend down there called Ricky Miller. When I first joined Limston as a recruit. He was the chief of staff, he was a PTI. Um, and then when I first became a PTI, he was my AIPT, which is the inspector of physical training. Right. Um, and he was a legend, like a living legend. He's still about now. And uh, I always remember he was assessing one of our sessions. And it's a big thing at the, in the gym in Limston when it's initial military fitness, you're not allowed to scratch. Um, you know, you imagine you've got sweat running and you're not allowed to Oh, yeah, so you just got to stand up. You scratch, you yeah. get, you know, you get yeah. the whole truth gets thrashed. And yeah. I remember thinking, Fuck, can't we scratch? I mean, mm. I've just worked my tits off. Yeah. I'm sweating my tits off. Why can't I scratch? Mm. And I remember him giving a whole troop of bollocks saying, Right, lads, you might think this is stupid, but let's imagine you're in a jungle and you're in an ambush yeah. and then there's a bit of sweat trickling down your nose and you haven't got the discipline to not touch yeah. it because you're a little bit itchy. Mm-hmm. Like, but, that, but that's great leadership, mate, because leadership has always be explaining the why. Paint a picture, picture the, the, big, the problem we had in the Pongos, as you would call yeah. them, in the army is that we never get stuff explained. It would be, you're doing it like this. And you'd be like, well, why? No reason. So it's like, if you, like, and, and that's not a way to treat human beings because we want to know the reason why. But like, because like, if you said that, then I bet you were like, and, and not only are you like, oh, that makes sense. But in that moment, as it, you're picturing yourself you're in that ambush. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in this fucking ambush. I'm going to smoke the enemy. I don't want them to, no, it's like, I want to kill the enemy. I don't want them to know I'm there. So I'm not going to, like, it, it, that's great leadership. I think the problem with a lot of this, and this isn't just peculiarity with army. This is it's do as I say, that's it. And it doesn't work with kids. It doesn't work with soldiers. It's got to give the why. So if you know someone's kids are kicking off about something, and you just hear them say because I said so, then you're like, boom! You just lost that fucking that kid's just going. Well, fucking dad's a dickhead, then isn't he? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there needs to be there needs to be the why behind. Well, it's just about leadership, and different people have different leadership qualities, but and you won't always get it right. Again, it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean that's that's one thing I probably did struggle when I went to Aldershot I struggled at first with the way the uh, chain of command worked but by the time I left once I realised I was a gobby little shit um, I had some really great mates there mm. um, and it halfway through being there the CO changed when the CO changed and the other the CO that left was a good right. CO um, really good CO it wasn't my cup of tea but you know, he was an excellent CO the new one that came in completely different and it was a lot more um, a lot more chilled out. Yeah. That doesn't mean it went to a bag of shit. It was just yeah. different. And then the leadership structures then. Yeah. Because again, people will start to copy the people above them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, all the time. Yes. And, and it sort of has a snowball effect. So um, I remember after about six months, things there got a lot better for me. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I think you're probably saying with me, I've always been a thing of um, treat people like adults, they'll act like adults is the way I think. And, and the, the problem is, is, especially in the British Army Infantry, unfortunately, 
there are people who will take the piss. So if you do try and take some people, like they will take the piss. But in general, and this is why I enjoyed being in like a support company and Rocky Platoon and stuff, is that the it was an adult relationship. You know, the boss is boss. The platoon sergeant is his name. You call each other by your name. But if he tells you to do something, you do it. And if you have a question, you can ask the question. And, and for me, that's what I love. You know, I love. Um, I actually there's a story in the book. Um, so. Some people might be familiar with this one, but I'll bring it up to you because I think this will illustrate a point. So while I was at um, while I was at Aldershot on the PTI course, I got a call from my battalion saying that I needed to go to Birmingham for an inquest into the death of one of our lads that I was involved with. So I went to the um, one of the uh, officers. I can't remember. I think the uh, I think the publishers made me take his name out of the book. The lawyers did. Um, so I had to go to him and say like, "Look, um, I need to go to Birmingham for a couple of days for this inquest." And he was like, "Are oh, you gonna have to drop out the course there?" I'm like, what? He's like, well, you can't miss two days of the course and, and still pass. It's like, and I and the, that week, it was that week where it's the pass-off. Like, there's a whole week prep, prep, prepping for pass-off parades, isn't there? And it yeah. involves, like, throwing logs over your head and stuff like that. And again, there's reason behind all this stuff, I'm not saying. But he was, mate, and I couldn't believe it because I was just like, we lost, like, this is one of my lads in Afghan. This is an inquest. His family are going to be there. They're, 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 this, is, this is into his death. And you're telling me now the nine weeks that I've done on the course, I've got a fucking they, they count for nothing because I've got to miss two days to go to a fucking. I couldn't get my head around it, mate. Because like I think he's he was in such a PT corps bubble that he forgot that the reason the PT corps exists is because the army exists and the army exists for war, not for throwing logs over your head. It does, it does become a little bit, and I see it throughout my life. I know it's like it becomes quite egotistical. Um, power goes to people's heads sometimes. Sometimes it's above people's heads. Like, I mean, I don't know who you're talking about there, but I'll that, tell you after we get off. <laughs> that could have easily been coming from above him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was his, to be honest, mate. I saw it was his reaction in the moment yeah. that it was. He, he had such a computer says no kind of thing uh, what that I he, he could not get as well. It was even though, apart from me, you're mm-hmm. all army. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the lads were a bit like not anti each other. That's the wrong mm-hmm. word, but. Very competitive with each other. Yeah, I think so that's because it's a small corps, isn't it? Paras, infantry. Yeah, uh, the lads are in, you know, signals. Yeah, you had your own, not clicks. That's the wrong word, but they, it, yeah, no, I think I think you're if right. If you've mate. got an instructor who, for whatever reason, it's doesn't like corps. your yes. your background, yeah, might be a bit. Um, well, I I genuinely tried to. I mean, I was an arsehole, yeah. but I tried to treat people as fair as I could. Yeah. As long as I thrashed them, I was happy. I mean, I love me. I fucking love that course. Yeah. I love being down there, and I make some great mates. Good I, keep, place. Couple, I, I, I keep in touch I, with. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was, I, I, I like the I like the fact to be honest that it was back in big rooms and stuff that it wasn't like the one man rooms that you had in Barry. You know, it was like back in like you know the four man rooms with the little. Yeah, bit. I, I, I loved I, that. I didn't live. I lived in Uxbridge, so I used to travel in every right. day. So I never. Uh, well, I know you used to finish some some evenings go working. Straight to work, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was trying yeah. to build my business then, so, so that was a that was a hard year for me actually. So, mate, I wanted to um, I wanted to we, we, before we came on air, we were just talking about British. Uh, we were talking about British Legion. Right, because I was saying, like, you know, British Legion helped me with this podcast, which I'm very appreciative for. Um, and um, yeah, you've had an experience with them. So, can we, do you mind oh, talking mate, us through I, that? I wouldn't have done half the things that I've done. I wouldn't have a gym if it weren't for the British Legion. Um, how did it start? So, I started a business. I was in Afghan just prior to going. I thought, let me look for something just when I got. No, I was in Afghan. I met Emma. I started to think, right. Let me see what I could do if things do get serious. Um, and when I got back, I registered the company. Started doing a few things because I had loads of leave. Um, then I realised I needed a gym. Even though it was nice training people outside, I thought, 
rather have a gym and I, I wanted to kind of get back involved in boxing in, in some aspect or another so I thought I need a ring can't portably move a ring around in the back of a van so I started to price things up and I was like wow this is going to be expensive especially and, uh, <laughs> I was thinking how much is rent going to cost and I kept looking at like different locations and, so uh, you were set on London not necessarily. Oh, I was right. looking at in Beaconsfield originally because right, I where, where above that, it's just on the outskirts right. of London. It's quite a posh area. I thought right. it'd be nice. Um, and in the end, just by chance, I ended up in Hammersmith, which is just down the road from where I grew up. Grew up in Nottingham. Hill. Nottingham, yeah, but a, a rough part, not a posh part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it looks like Hugh Grant. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I needed money. I needed like I needed about sixty grand. Wow. But I'd never ever spent beyond my limits in the core. That's really good. I'd always thought, I'd, I'd had a credit card once, 2003, I'd spent like 60 pounds on it, paid it back straight away and then just tore it up. I'd always been quite disciplined. When I left the core, I was getting like half pension because I'd done 12 years, I was getting about 10 grand. Um, so I needed about, I needed quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. And I kept going to banks, applying for loans. And uh, sorry, I just want to jump well, for people who don't know, like for your younger people listening, really as a business, I think they usually say so you've got to expect three years before you start to become profitable as well, isn't it? Oh, like, my day, man. It yeah. was like, I don't, the first day I opened that business, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a media guru, I'm not, you know, Instagram, mm -hmm. or someone else that does it all for me. I was just sat there twiddling my thumbs. I did my morning client and then no one came mm -hmm. in. But every single bank I went to, because I didn't have a credit rating, because I'd never been in debt wouldn't loan me any money. And I was like, that's mad, isn't it? That, that, is, that, that is mad. Surely that shows that I can manage my finances. Yeah. You know? So someone said, go to the British Legion. And I went to the British Legion, met this, uh, a lovely girl, her name was Becky. And, um, and oh, I can't remember the Irish lady's name now. And they had a scheme at the time called Be The Boss, hmm. where you could apply for up to 30,000 pounds. So I thought, I better not ask for 30, it's a bit cheeky, I'll ask for 25. But it's not as simple as they give you the money. Yeah, you then have to go through quite a vigorous three, four months. So it's process. like so it's basically like going to a bank, except that it's the British British, British Legion, yeah. and it was like it was like being on Dragon Den. So, yeah, so you gave a business plan. Yeah, and then yeah, they gave you something to help with a business plan, and then you have to go and sit in front of four people who are giving you the money, and they question you like on every aspect of the plan. It was yeah. like being on Dragon's Den, had to wear a suit and everything, and then they approved it. And then I left the Marines on May the seventh, uh, which was my birthday, two thousand eleven. And open a gym to June 11th. So in a couple of days, the gym will be eight years old. But wow. and it wouldn't have been a British Legion loaning me that money, which I paid back in four years. Yeah, I wouldn't. I Is don't it, think I would. Did have they signed. charge interest on it or anything like that? Um, I can't remember the interest rate. I mean, it, it was quite competitive because yeah. like they. Well, what was really good about it? Out of the 25 grand, five grand of it was a grant. So the loan was actually 20,000. Yeah. Um, but the loan comes through like banks that they have sort of relationships yeah. with or investors. Yeah, I was going to say, so, so basically, they, they I'm, 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 they, they're business people. Yeah, I'm preempting people that are going to go, oh, they should just give it to people. No, they it's shouldn't. Not, because not look, simple. like there's not, there's a finite amount of money in the world. There's a finite amount of money in charities. Um, and that, that interest will cover the costs of, and I'm not doing this to speak there. I'm just saying this is this is what, how it'll be. That interest, because those four people that, Need, are needed to do the interview process and stuff they all need to be paid you know so that that's you know the the interest on these things is not to make money it's to to cover the costs and um i think it's great i think um well this is the reason the british legion wanted to get involved with this podcast was because they know that people the message isn't getting to everybody about this stuff so i think that's that's fucking awesome that that's there if you want to if like if you're in the position guy and because i've had friends who have been in, in trouble with um say the custody of their kids you know that because someone's trying to kick, take the kids off them, or they've, um, you know, they've they haven't got a place to live, any of that stuff. You know, get in touch with these charity guys because I think as veterans, sometimes 
we kind of throw up our hands and go, oh, no one gives a fuck. But have we really looked into everything? Have, have we, uh, like, it's not up to the British Legion or fucking any of these other charities to turn up on your doorstep. It's not up, it's not up to them. It's up to us to say, if you've got a business, it's up to us to go and look. Like, you didn't find out that because <laughs> they turned up in the gym. No, so, well, I, had, I had to really look into it. Not, nothing in this life, so maybe sound a bit hard-lined, nothing in this life is given to you. Um, you know, no, should it be? Because then it's not valued. Yeah, you, you, anything, anything in life that is easy, usually yeah. worth having. But I'll be honest, if they'd have just given you that money, would you have worked as hard? If they'd have given you that as a no, no strings attached, here's the, here's the money, would you have worked as hard to set up your gym? No, because if things, don't get me wrong, the business hasn't always been plain, plain sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it would have got a little bit rough and I'd just been giving it, I'd be like, oh, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Because I had to work for it. I was like, no, I'm going to keep working for this. And then it got a bit more successful. And every time you get a bit more successful, there's some other sort of curveball that comes your way. Like, VAT. What the fuck is VAT all about? I just find out about that now. It's <laughs> my head hurts. It's like, on my days, if it wasn't VAT, I'd be quite yeah. a wealthy man. Yeah. Um, now, every three months, I have to give uh, 20% of anything I uh, that comes to me to the government, mm. which you get, I get, I'm all for paying taxes. Yeah. I'm like, how am I supposed to grow? I've got, you know, I'm a small business. Yeah. Um, and and I get that. And I, I've squeaky clean. I pay all my taxes. I've got a great accountant. I don't try and dodge anything. And I'm not just saying that because I'm really, I am genuinely squeaky clean and integral like that. Um, but it's I just think it's the way it's, 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 cause I, I it's think... the real world. And I think that's yeah. one thing the military, the military, listen, the military taught me so many things. Yeah. But there's a lot of things, and this isn't me trying to sell my soul. When you leave, all right, they give you EVT, which is amazing. There's a lot of jobs you can be a banker and they say, all right, I'm leaving my job in a, in a year, boss. Can you send me on some courses? Yeah. The bank will like, no, do one, get out of it. No, that's true. So you get, you get a great, you do get a great step into civilian street from the military. In in certain respects. In ter- yeah, in certain respects, in terms of, you know, you can you can go and do a HGV course. Yeah. So when I went and saw them, I said, well, I don't want to be a HGV driver. I'm opening a gym. Mm-hmm. Can I have the equivalent of that money to go towards my loan? No. You yeah. can go and work in Tesco's as a manager. Yeah. I don't want to work in Tesco's as a manager. No, but so they, that's great. They send you on a course, so that means that as long as you're mm-hmm. clever, you're not going to become unemployed when you leave. But what they don't do is they don't. They spend so much time, and I saw this as a PTI breaking down recruits at Limston. You break them down to their bare minimum, yeah. and then you build them up into commandos. Well, think out how how many weeks is a commando course? It's it's sorry, 30, commando training. 30, 32. Okay, so there's thirty two weeks there, and then when you get to your, your unit, you continue to train. You continue, continue to continue. train. By the time, um, by the time I went to uh, my first tour, including some, some years in the TA and stuff, I'd been in kit for um, nearly seven years. I think that's a lot. Of, some people, by the time they go on operational tour, they've been uh, in training and they've been, you know, in training in their regiment for twelve years or more. You know, like. We put a lot of training into going and doing a six-month tour, right? Operation, like you spend more, people need to understand, when you go on a tour, you've spent more time doing the build-up training for that tour than you spend on tour. But then when you come out into CV life and you might have 50 years ahead of you, it's a couple of days here, this is how you do a fucking CV, boom, see you later. And that's what needs to change. And I think, like I said, mate, what I think was so cool about seeing how you did it was that you bridged that transition. And I think that, that you know, like so it's like you already had a foot in the CV world. Um, I think that's important. And I, I did this. I tried to build up as much leave as I could to take some of the pressure off because I knew when I was a personal trainer, it was going to be lean at first. So I knew if I built up a lot of leave and I started working the day I get out of the army, then I can, by, hopefully by the time, and this is how it worked out, by the time that I stopped getting paid from the army, I was getting paid on a civvy job. 
Now yeah, then, exactly yeah, then, then I got drug dependency and I fucked everything up. But <laughs> it started off. I started off on the right foot, and, th- and this is why, like I said, we have a lot, a lot of young leaders listening to this, mate. We get like I get young junior platoon commanders and stuff hit me. I can't tell you enough, guys, how important it is. Go out, reach out to civvy companies. If you're based in in Salisbury Plain area, go to Salisbury, reach out to some fi- wealth management companies, you know, and and say, hey, do you mind spending an hour coming to talk to my blokes about? And, and, you know, understanding, so for instance, in your case, mate, you thought you were doing everything right. Oh, I'm not getting into any debt. I'm going to have great credit. So it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work. Like, you know, so you need someone to come in and say, lads, what you need to do is get a card out. You take, you spend a hundred quid on it at the beginning of the month. At the end of the month, you pay it off. By the time you leave, you'll be able to get loans. You know, like, mate, this, this is the ridiculous thing. I was terrible about managing money. At one point, I could borrow a hundred grand on cards. Uh, it's, it's mental, isn't it? Because I was terrible with money. But like young leaders out there, platoon commands, platoon sergeants, you know, you go and reach out to these people so the lads are getting this drip fed to them because the thing is when you're leaving the army as well or the marines or whatever there's so much going on in your head that even if I sat people down with Bill Gates before they left you're not really it's not the time and the place to absorb that information because you're going through so much anyway the time to learn that stuff is interesting I mean if you look at like that the, the probably most one of the most basic things to do was would be to do have a leaving basic training. So you have your basic training when you join. Yeah. But no one would want to do that. Like, oh, fuck this, I just want to get out. But it might be nice if they could maybe say, right, right, you leave a year after Peter Chitting, but two months before that shit expires, we're going to, you know, you're going to do an eight week course yeah. where you go and see civvy companies or, mm-hmm. I mean, by then it might be too late, but we, lads, whoever's listening to this, honestly, civvy street, it's, uh, it's the real world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound like an old fuddy daddy there it is the real world I have lads that come and approach me for jobs now and they come and work in the gym and they start talking to clients I'm pointing my fingers Brecken- and saying, there's a Breckenhand going on and, uh, for people listening on radio now you, there's a Breckenhand don't get me wrong some civvies like that they come to the yeah. gyms and they like to be spoken that some don't function like you really have to sort of uh, have a Jack one Hyde character you've got to work out the mannerisms like, 100% some mate. people will need a kick out of the backside some people uh, need a card and sometimes you've got to really question what the fuck am I doing this for? Yeah. So, um, the the days of you being able to talk down to people are gone on Civvy Street. Like they don't work. So if you're and to be fair, this is usually this is usually a senior NCO problem rather than a a junior NCO or, or, or a private soldier one. But there are people out there who, for twenty years, twenty two years of their life, have been able to get away by screaming in someone's face and calling them a cunt. That ain't going to work for you on. Uh, so, and the thing is, by that, some people have indoctrinated and been indoctrinated into thinking that's how you deal with problems. It's very different on Sioux Street. And, I, and, that, and some people right now are going, oh, well, they should get over it, snowflakes. Well, no, it's not their job to get over it. You're the one assimilating to them, not them to you. Now, think about it like this. If they were joining the army, you'd expect them to change, right? So now that they're, you're joining Sioux Street, it's up, to, it's up to you to change. Now, like Baz says, there are some people who want the Breckenhand you know, instructors for certain things. And there's some companies, if you're a consultant, they might want you to come in and be like the sergeant major who's coming in to consult on a company. Some people want that. Majority of jobs, right, I got news for you, and it's not nice news, but it's the fucking truth. Most people don't give a fuck you've been in the military. They- Most people, guys, and I'm being sincere here, you know, I loved being a bootneck, but I also loved the time I spent in Northwood working with Navy, Army, Air Force, and... You know, my last job was with the army. And again, all the bootnecks they listen, I'm not selling my soul, but I love the military is what I'm trying to say. Mm. But you're not going to be in the military forever. One day, even if you're an RSM, you're probably going to have to leave 
and work in Civvy Street, and you'll start to realise then that it's a it's a little bit different. It's quite a lot different, and. I think one of the things we have, and this goes for society in general, mate, is where I see things going all the time now. It's like a very black and white thing. So let's say, you know, a, a politi- political level. If somebody says, um, like, somebody says, oh, I don't think Trump is a terrible president, then they assume you agree with everything he says. Or, you know, it's, it's like a black or white thing. And this is the thing with the military. Not all the thing, like, when it comes to going becoming a civvy, not all of the stuff that the army's done to you is going to be good. It's not all going to be bad. There are some things that it's taught you which are going to really help you on Civvy Street. There are other things that are going to hold you back, and it's up to you to identify, right? You know, it's not like... Um, so, for instance, discipline is is great on one hand because it's it's taught you discipline. Like, when you need to remember that when on your shittest day, at least you're not lying in a fucking freezing cold stream in Brecon. You know, like, it gives you... You've had the discipline to do that so you can do other things. Uh, on the other hand... There's a difference between self-discipline and uh, self-discipline and discipline. So, when you're on Civvy Street, six o'clock in the morning, if you don't get up and do your fizz, no one's coming to get you. You know, if if you um, if you don't turn up for work in the morning, Sergeant Major's not sending one of the junior NCOs down to the block to get you. Just just losing your job. You know, and that, that and that's a big difference. Like it's you got to remember that just because you were in the army doesn't mean automatically that like you you have to continue from the day you leave. Like I think um, you know, it's, momentum is so important. If you leave and get back into a bad routine straight away, because you know one of the things about the military is routine. It's the routine of getting up in the morning. It's routine of shaving. It's the routine, routine, routine. If you begin your routine as a civvy of lying until bed at eleven o'clock, eating like shit, not going to the gym, that will be the momentum that you build up, and it's only going to get harder from that position. If on the other hand you come out and go, well, you know what, I used to get up at six in the morning. Um, in the military anyway, why don't I just keep that going? Why don't I go to the gym before? Why don't I go to the gym before work? You know, why don't I keep a few of these things going? And then you can like tweak your, you know, tweak tweak the routine. But you know, you you have to understand anything in life is about momentum, good or bad. And if you're building bad routines, they're going to get worse. If you're building good routines, they're going to get better. Someone told me once, you're the average of the five people that you spend most of your time with. That's in that book, mate, because I love that quote so okay. much. I love that quote, And mate. when I first heard that, it took me, like, I'm a thick fucker, it took me about 20 minutes to work it out, and I thought, fucking hell, you're all right, because you'll start to pick up on other people's mannerisms. 100%. And to me, I'm, to me, there's Barry O'Connell and there's Sergeant O'Connell. Nice. Before I joined the Marines, it's quite a shy bloke. When I joined the Marines, I got less and less shy. When I became a PTI... I was a gobby little fucker before I knew everything. <laughs> when I left the Marines, I'm very lucky that it's my gym. So I have a little saying in my gym, it doesn't matter, anyone's welcome in here, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, Islamic, Hispanic, everyone's welcome. But you will all work hard, no matter what fitness levels you are, okay? And you all will all work together. And I can get away with that. I can get away with saying all the stuff I do in my gym, because I keep it very real. Mm. Um, but because it's my gym and I've got no one to answer to and yeah. everyone knows what I'm like as a bloke, really. But that's all an act. That's Sergeant O'Connell. Yes. As soon as I go home, I'm a recluse. Well, you have to wear different hats, don't we? For exactly. Reason. And I think where a lot of, and I have never looked into this, so don't please don't quote me on this or think I'm some sort of you know, psychologist, but I think a lot of guys join the military because they might want to do something that's quite tough mm. or want a bit of identity and then they grow into that person in the military. Yeah. And that works in the military. Yeah. But then when they leave the military, 
without realizing that person kind of gets left behind. Yeah. So then they go back to being that person they were yeah. before. And I see a lot of lads that get into trouble when they leave, as in become homeless or turn to alcohol for many different reasons, but sometimes because they haven't actually worked out truly who they are. Yes. But what the military does definitely give you is structure. Mm -hmm. If you try and bring structure into whoever you were before you joined the military and just be yourself, you're probably going to be all right anyway. Yeah. I think what's what, what the thing, and this is this took me a while to learn, mate, is that it's okay to change who you are as well. So like when I was when I left the military, one of the reasons I struggled is because I still wanted to be the the guy on ops. I still wanted to be. I was like I felt so bad because I wanted to be Geraint Jones soldier on operations, and I wasn't anymore, and that really fucked me up. And then when I realized that, I was like, hey, look, you could still part of you is still Geraint Jones on operations. You always will be. You're always going to have good and bad memories of that time and it's it's always going to be important to you but now you can also be guess jones the writer and you can be guess jones who travels like you can have a lot of different hats so you're like, different you're a different person with your daughter than you are with your clients that's like life goes on when yeah. i left when i left um, the military opened a gym every email i'd replied to someone yeah my name's barry connell i'm a former physical trainer instructor class one in the managed royal marines yada 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 most cities don't even know the difference between Army, a Navy, pilot, fucking I mean? yeah. Like, what, what's that? Now, I probably get, I'd say probably 80% of my uh, inquiries now about boxing. Nice. Uh, and they're like, you're a boxing coach. Uh, yeah, I am, I suppose I am. I'm a full-time boxer, that's what I do. I train pros. Uh, but I also train a lot of civilians. Um, but I do get the odd, maybe 20%, I've never looked at it statistically, who come to me because they want to join the military. But I'm known less now as a Royal Marine physical training instructor or a conditioning coach, yeah. and more as a as a boxing coach. Mate, one thing that like I'm struggling with in writing at the moment is like for for obvious reasons, publishers want me to keep writing roles where um, I'm writing about PTSD in the military and stuff. And I'm, I'm you know I'm 35 years old, mate. Now I have no intention of stopping writing until the day that I'm fucking dead. Um, hopefully that will not <laughs> that won't be for a while. And I don't want to write about the military for the rest of my life and stuff. And it, so people need to understand as well, this isn't just a case of um, you wanting to keep the third thing. You might not realize it, but pressures might, you might be getting external pressures from people. Like, so it could be, like some people, they don't want their mates. So let's say the lads that you served with, I don't have this. I've got very fucking, very awesome mates who, who encourage me to do, you know, what I do now and stuff. But I have seen it with people in the past where, one of them branches off to do something after the military and the others are keeping trying to pull them back in. Oh, you've got to be a you know, bootneck forever or what and you've got to drink this pint of piss. And you know, I mean, look, if you want to drink piss, not knocking it, there's a time and a place. Um, but it's uh, sometimes their mates just there because they don't want to move on. They try and stop their mate moving on. And it's like, it doesn't mean that you're turning your back on what you've done before. You can you'll always be proud of that. But it's just you're just moving into a you know moving into another phase in your life. You're evolving. Yeah, and, uh, I see it quite a lot when I go to like the old top table. So when someone leaves, you get invited back to the top table, and probably eighty percent of the blokes there are clean shaven, like they're basically yeah. going for a parade in their nice mm -hmm. suits. And there'll be probably three or four of them with big bushy beards mm. in some funky sort of suit, yeah. and they'll get a piss with that of them, but they don't give a shit. Yeah, because they're, they're doing their own thing, and then lads start to realise it. Actually, it's all right to be different. Isn't it? Isn't it a funny one though, mate? Like when people say, "Oh, you've changed," and they say it like an insult. You think, "Oh, I fucking should hope I've changed." Yeah. 
I don't want to be the same person I was when be, I was 18 years old. You don't want to be seven old. years old, 18 years old, I, I, I don't want to be the same person next month as I was this month. And sometimes you'll make mistakes. Sometimes you'll change for the worse. Like I said, you went drug dependency. Yeah. And it's about regrouping and going again. Yeah, and mate, no and I'll tell you what, mate, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. One, because, um, like, I met, I, I'll look, fuck it, I'll tell you what, mate, I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about the value of life. I learned so much about potential, good and bad. Like, literally... It was, I, I, if you told me I had to go through it all again with the debt and everything, I'd fucking bite your hand off because it, I think now it's just the sky's the limit. I feel like the sky's the limit now. One thing you can't buy is experience. Mm. You can only experience it. And you, know, you have all these lads in boxing who don't ever want to lose. That'd be nice if you went on to win. Yeah. But you're not all going to be Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. And you probably are going to lose at some point. And, the- and it's not the end of the road. As long as you analyse why you lost and you try and learn from it. And the pro- problem with that as well, mate, is if you go out not to look, like, so th- that will lead people to pick, like, so for instance, say you're going skiing, like, you know, and it's like, you don't want to fall over. Well, you're never going to become the best skier. And same with boxing, mate. If, you, if you're not, if, you're never going to take the fights that are really going to define you because you might just decide, oh, well, I never want to lose. And you get so tied up in not wanting to lose that you pick fights that aren't taking you to your potential. And if you look at it like that, you'll have a weird, oh, I definitely do, sense of freedom. What have you got to lose? Yeah. Right, you're going to lose. It's an L on your well, record. Well, this is the great you're thing about fall over. Right, just pick yeah. yourself back up and not crack on. Well, having having, and this is something that I lost sight of. Um, you know, and uh, like you and I, we've both been to Afghan, both you know, both been on tour, both been in some pretty fucking hairy situations, right? Um, came through that, and really, you think about it, like it, it's that really, is, and this is something that I lost sight of, and I'm sure a lot of us do. If you're not dead, really, there's no drama. That is literally it, like, and, 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 and that goes for obviously your family and stuff as well. But literally, death is the only thing that's a drama. Everything I, else you can work through. I was a, I left as a sergeant, and I was probably pretty close to becoming a color sergeant. And if I was still in now, I'd have done twenty years. So I'd be two years off a full pension. And I, and I'd sometimes wonder what my life would be like. And I'm sure it'd been great, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of my oppos are having a fantastic career. But I took a big risk. But I grafted, I had a bit of structure, I had a bit of discipline, and I got lucky. I got, you know, I had a few boxers come in the gym that were, you know, a bit more high profiles than others, and that led to other boxers. And I remember in 2015, uh, I spent 12 weeks in Big Bear, just outside LA, training for someone who was then going to go fight for a world title in Vegas. Eight years prior to that, I remember going to watch, I've been a bit longer, I've been about 10 years behind that, watch. Um, Ricky Hatton versus Mayweather mm. at the MGM. And I remember seeing one of Ricky Hatton's team walking around the shops. And I remember thinking, wow, imagine that. Imagine yeah. being part of Hatton's team. In and, and did you? Did you imagine it? Did you visualize that kind of thing of I you did, doing it? I did, but I never in my wildest dreams right. thought it would happen. It'd be nice it would happen. And then nine years later, I find myself doing exactly I've got a backstage pass to MGM yeah. for the whole week. I'm in and out. Work. I'm, I'm stood next to Mayweather because it's a Mayweather show. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember sending a message to uh, to my girlfriend going, wow, this is what I used to always like. When I used to train in the gym, mm. I used to always train that I was gonna be involved in a world title fight as a boxer. Yeah. I was not shit, I was never gonna be in a world title fight. But I, uh, I'm i involved now in a coaching capacity and like my dreams are coming true. And you're, not getting, you're never guaranteed to get that. But if you, it is, it is about being lucky. But if you put yourself in the right place and you work hard, yeah, I I, I always say fortunate rather than lucky because yeah. you you because you like there does have to be a bit of rub like a, there's a bit of there's always a lot of rub but but like you 
if you put yourself in the right places enough times, it'll happen, mate. But I know exactly what you mean, dude. Like, honestly, sometimes, like, especially if I've had a drink, I start to tell people that sometimes I feel like I'm living in a computer simulation or something because I'm like, all this stuff can't be happening. This, this, it can't be, it can't be, like, sometimes I walk in the gym at home and I'll hear my mates are on the radio in the gym and, like, you see, go, you know, go Vegas, be, be, like, you go to Vegas, be a part of these things and, I just, pinch I just, yourself. Yeah, I have to pinch myself, mate. Like I went into the, I went into the, uh, the Tesco down the road from where I went to school yesterday, mate. Like, I've got three books in Tesco at the moment, and I'm like, I, honestly, like, you know what you're saying earlier? You don't feel like you've worked a day in your life. And I've had this talk with friends of mine who were, you know, in similar kind of positions. Like, and one of them said, like, sometimes he worries that someone's going to knock on the door. And they're going to be like, oh, you know, you thought you were a DJ musician for the last 20 years. Yeah. Now it's a big joke, mate. You owe us this much money. <laughs> and it's like, we've been having you on. Because it just doesn't feel like... And and, and what I want to do, mate, is I... I some people are listening. Some people are listening now go, oh, well, that must be nice for you too. It must be lucky. But the thing is, mate, the reason I talk about it is because I truly believe it's achievable for everyone. I really do. If If... Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to become the biggest writer in the world. Because i got to be honest, I don't work hard enough for that. Yeah, but if you but, tell yourself you're not... Yeah, well, exactly. Then you definitely That's it, won't. Then you definitely won't. If you but, say you can, you're going to get a little bit closer to that. Exactly. Gonna... And like you said, I'm never going to be... Like, what I can honestly say is I'm never going to be LeBron James, right? I'm never going to be the basketball player. But if I put my mind to it, I could probably become a, could probably become a decent basketball player. If I apply myself day in, day out to learning the craft of basketball... Why can't I, why couldn't I become yeah, and there's a flip side to that if you say you're going to become a basketball player and after two weeks you give up then you're definitely not yes it's what you said there you apply some application yeah application and what we've been talking about mm-hmm. all, all time discipline well I get I get this a lot mate on uh, social media is uh, to tie it back into like listeners to the podcast I get young people messaging me saying should I be a soldier and I always say like if you have to ask yourself that question then I'm sorry it's probably not for you because it's a, it's a hard job there's going to be there's going to be it's great, like we've both said, it's great benefits to it. But if you have to ask a stranger, should I be one? Probably not. Maybe come back to it in a few years. Maybe you'll grow up and decide it. But if you don't believe, if you're like, I don't know, if it's not like, right, this is for me. Because, uh, you know, it's, if if you if you're having questions about it when you're sitting at home and it's, every, you know, you're nice and dry and everything like that, then it's probably not for you. But that doesn't mean it'll never be for you. Maybe in a few years it will be, but... I just, you know, one of my mates recently, I was chatting with him and he kept saying that, like, there was something that it was, I'm not going to go into details because it's personal to him, but he basically, like you were saying, he had in his head, no, I'm never going to get over this. And I said, well, no, you won't when you're saying I'm never going to get over this. If you're open to your mind of the, like, I mean, obviously, what I, what I was trying to get into was just to the possible, like, because I could see that he wasn't just going to go, oh, yeah, I can get over it, but just just, just get that possibility. And, like, I... I think and I I think that one of the reasons I'm fucking I love social media. Look, pe- not social media gets knocked me. But one of the reasons I love it is because now you can see that people have been successful. You can see where their success came from. So before, unless you happen to know someone in your family or uh, who lived around you, I mean, you know, you're saying you're from a rough part of Notting Hill. I doubt there was many successful entrepreneurs around there or successful sports stars living in that area still. Unless you know somebody like that, it's very hard for you to believe. Like I, until I, one of my my friends, um, shout out to Gareth, um, Gareth Emery, who's a successful DJ. Until he became successful, I never knew someone that had got to the top of their game, like at the top of a game before. And once I did, mate, just that one instance changed everything to me. I was like, oh, I can become an author. You have got to put yourself out there. You know, you got yeah. to put yourself on the on the shelf. But you you need to try and make yourself as you know. It's like walking in the shop. You're gonna buy that that brand of uh, juice. 
or that brand. You might, they might other brands of juice are available, <laughs> but, but you uh, you'll probably go for the one that looks the most attractive. Yeah. Um, but again, flip side to everything, don't ever buy it. You know, judge a book by its cover. Yeah. But, um, Unless um, it's brothers in arms by Gary and Charles. Yeah. <laughs> it's got an alley cover. I love that little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go get him, man. Go get him in, man. It's uh, it's, it's a, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, you've got to put yourself on the shelf, but you. Some people want you being a bit arrogant and a bit brashy. Yeah. Some people won't. But um, I think the skill of, like, I, I, I love the term social chameleon. I think is like, I think because some people have a negative thing for that. that They think, oh, you should be who you are all the time or you're being two-faced. No, that's not, that's not true. Like, we're, we're supposed to be different around different people. That's yeah. what it is. You, like, look, cause just think about it like this. Do you want to be the same person around, like, let's say you're a squaddy, right? You're listening to this. Do you want to be the same bloke you are around the around other squaddies you do around your mum and dad? Probably not. Well, that's not two-faced. So it's not two-faced if you have a, a slightly different persona. It's just adapting. Know. It's like you did that to a battle situation, and that's, that's all it I is. I think it's a really positive quality, mate. Yeah. And it's just something like, um, again, it's like one of the things I don't think that the military is, is very good at is, is teaching that adaptability in a... We're good at doing it on a battlefield, like you said, but then there's a very regimented thing of actually you know what I'm like, no I'm going to take my point back on this one because you treat like when you're in the military you behave to officers differently than you behave to senior NCOs and differently be do you behave to your section so you do really you learn that you learn that skill in the military I think good, good manners don't cost a penny yeah uh, and again different mannerisms of different peoples might get the best of those people yeah. so if I'm training a client you know who likes to be thrashed I, I train a client who's XSF mm-hmm went on to become a, a successful banker he's like 64 now his technique's horrendous um, but his effort is second to none of anyone he'll be, he'll be the first client I kill in that gym <laughs> if I said to him now put, push my jeep five miles up the road he'd just do it yeah. he's got that mentality some fucking yeah some, some got, tr- tough tough I'm, mentally tough people I've got other clients who you want me to do 20 kettlebell swings oh I'm not doing that so you, again, to get the best out of someone, you've got to try yeah, and... But they're, and they're paying you. Yeah, but you've got to try and yeah. it's your job to get the best yeah. out, to get what they want from the session, yeah. to get their goals. So you have got to adapt. You've got to have an almost Jekyll and Hyde personality. Um, and then... But that's fun though as well, mate, because it's like, why would you want to be the same with every client? It would get, get boring for you very fast, exactly. wouldn't it? it? If you have the if same... If I had one. the same boxer who boxed the same way every single session, it'd be a boring session. Yeah. It'd be a boring sport, because if every boxer boxed the same style... And I hear it all the time. We well, might as well have robots. Yeah, I say, go, no, you've got to do it that way. You've got to do it that way. And then another coach goes, no, you've got to do it that way. Let, no, let's test and adjust and see what works for the boxer. Any any defence is penetratable, okay? It's just about how you uh, find a way into that defence. You know I mean, if someone's got their hand low, um, then there's obviously a big wide opening to their uh, to that side of uh, their heads. Then you're probably going to go for that side so they can anti-ambush you. So... Yeah. So um, I'm just going to check on the time on this, mate. Talk us through while well, I'm just taking the time. Talk us through um, favorite boxers at the moment because um, I'm trying to list. I've, I've, I think I'm at the point in my life now where I've I never really was into it before, but I'm kind of like starting to really appreciate like like the art of it a bit more. So could you just talk us through like best boxers on the scene at the moment? Oh, look wow. out for. Man, my, uh, I could I could list loads endlessly. You know, you got the, the really famous ones, and then I do a lot of uh, small hall boxing with my lads that are up and coming as well. So. There'd be a lot of lads in the professional game that people wouldn't have heard of. It's a real, it's a real tough sport. What, what did you think about um, the shock on the weekend with um, was it um, AJ and? Um, I'm, a, I'm a big, was, 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 I'm a big AJ was? fan, uh, um, but I actually put a bet. I almost might won a lot of money on Ruiz to knock him out in round one, two, three, or four. I didn't think Ruiz would win, so I actually thought Joshua would be too much for him. But 
I felt Joshua in the build-up, and we can all be experts here, mm. and I really hope Joshua comes back and beats him because I'm a big fan of Joshua. I think he does a lot for the sport. And again... We also happy for the other guy as well, though. For this moment. Yeah, and I, 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 to be honest, mate, I enjoyed seeing that in the reaction as well, that people weren't, people weren't just going... Like, and from AJ himself, like he had like a classy response to it. I which thought is, his response was yeah, really classy. Yeah, and I, I, I love that, mate. You know, he was the better night and a guy on the day, but I'm going to come back. And I really hope he does come back. There's but one just I, in the build-up to it, I think people were underestimating because he was a little fat fucker. If you really research the guy and his history and look at his amateur history and his pro history, he's not a bad boxer. And I think Josh was that big. His asset, his main asset is his size, which could also be his downfall. Mm. Um, and... It's going to be hard to beat Joshua over 12 rounds to not run out of steam, especially when that, even though that guy weighed heavier than him, mm. probably, you know, he's quite, you know, I know he's six foot tall, but he's, he's not the same build as Joshua. So I thought if I was the other guy's coach, I'd say, look, you're probably not going to win over 12 rounds. Let's try and get him out there early and cause an upset. So I thought that could have been a tactic they used. Um, so when he dropped him in the third round twice, I was like, oh, he yeah. a lot of money here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was glad because I'm a big fan of AJ. I think he does a lot for. Does a lot for one of my boxers. He does a lot for the sport, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he dust himself off. A sign of a good champion is that they come back from a loss. Lennox Lewis, one of my favourite boxers ever, and I think he lost twice, and both defeats he avenged. Yeah. Um, and it's to do that to go back into an arena where you've already lost, and to sort of try and break those demons is a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's great. Like, um, I mean, Liverpool with the the football the other day was a great example of that because I was thinking like you know I'm, yeah, again right I'm not a, I'm not a, not a footy not a footy fan um, but I watch big occasions because I love the psychology of sport find it really interesting you know and it's, you've lost some you've lost a you know you've lost this big fucking deal one year imagine what happens if you lose it two years on a row then on the other side of things you've got like um, I don't know if you follow the American football like New England Patriots who are always there or thereabouts when it comes to winning and they they you know, they can come back from such adversity. And when I do, I think sports psychology is fucking... Because it, all, all it is, it's the same as military psychology. It's human psychology, but under a laser, like a laser yeah. beam, you know. And again, it all probably sounds complex, but when you break it down, it is, uh, and it's no disrespect to people who have studied it, mm -hmm. it is pretty simple. But so, 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 so you simple. need to have the knowledge of what you're teaching. But now, going back to what you said, I, I'm a big fan of an American guy called uh, Crawford. I think he's great. It's one of my favourite boxers. I love his style. Uh, Terence Crawford. Um, there's a great boxer uh, from Scotland at the moment called Josh Taylor. I'm lucky that a lot of my lads get to spar him. He's really, really good. Uh, there's some great up-and-coming boxers on the on the small home scene that I love watching. You know, do, you think it's, do you think it's um, do you think it's going through a bit of a revive, uh, blah, blah, revival at the moment boxing? Like, do you think it's getting bigger on, in the public domain? Because obviously, there's always been like a, a you know a core I mean, founder, but do you think it's getting bigger in the into the like uh, more of a fashionable sport at the moment? Do you reckon? I've got to be careful what I say because you know I, I, the the more and more popular my boxers are getting, I'm getting to mm. work with the bigger promoters more and more. Right. I think it's a business. Yeah. Right, it's, it's yeah, a sport. Yeah. It's a business. What well, sport? Yes, yeah, most and professional sport. <laughs> everyone wants to make, everyone wants to get their piece of that business. Um, at the moment, if you looked on the map, and I'm just presuming, I haven't even researched this, I would say there's probably a lot of American champions and a lot of British champions, or champions that have based themselves in Britain and America. You get equally as good boxers in Africa. Mm. Um, some really good boxers. I've seen some great sparring partners come from. Africa and some of the Eastern European countries. 
um, who aren't necessarily world champions or on the world scene, but could be. And the reason they're not is because there's no money pumped into them. So you need money pumped into you to market you, to, uh, you know, to, uh, I've got some great Well, mate, well, you know, like, when you're at the top level, and just money pumped into you, it could be, um, a th- uh, what you call it, like a massage therapist, that that little bit of more loose muscle could be the difference between winning and losing yeah, at the highest level. business levels. side as well. Yeah. Um, should I mention a name, should I not? Nah, don't mention a name if you don't um, mention Your man's but a boxer, like, he's got really famous dads. Yeah, um, of course. And he's more marketable to the public than somebody that's equally as good as that guy. I think I know who you're talking about. Apollo Creed's son. There we go. <laughs> and, uh, but if someone's pumped some money into that guy, even though he might not be as good as the other guy is waiting, yeah. they're not going to want to lose that money well, and it's, taking a it's risk. Because it's a business, it's, it comes down to marketing. And, and, and it's on a revival mm-hmm. because of, again, you have the promoters. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm not being an arsehole here, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Hearn has a really good relationship with Sky Sports. They have a massive media platform. And I would say most of the country probably watch Sky Sports, or probably more people watch Sky Sports than BT Sport. Then I'd say probably more people watch Sky Sports and BT Sport than ITV Sport, and then Dave. And it's like a, you know, mm. it's sort of channeled down like that. So if you're on the biggest platform, um, then you're gonna get a bit of exposure. Yep. So a lot of British boxers that with Eddie Hearn have gone on to win world titles that probably, had they been on another platform, not one. I had a guy recently that boxed on a Frank Warren show on BT Sport, and the venue was empty. Right. But a lot of people would have watched it on TV. You go to most Eddie Hearn shows, and they're packed, because you've got Sky Sports News that are doing the plug for it, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it's been marketed, well marketed. Um, they're both awesome promoters. Um, who am I to criticise them? You know? yeah. If you want to give any of my lads jobs, if you're listening, <laughs> then uh, come and find me. Um, but I think that's one of the main reasons on the rival, but there's a lot of money going into it at the moment. And when it was all Sky Sports, pay-per-view, when BT Sport then showed an interest and we're going to put pay-per-view boxing on, Sky Sports had to up their game. Mm. It's good, um, yeah, it's good all capitalism. It's like yeah, competition it's pe- Competition makes a better product. People forget it's a business first. Yeah. You know, people don't want to lose money in business. And if there's their boxer, even though there's two great fights out there, look at them, why don't them two fight each other? That'd be an amazing fight. Because they go, Joshua and Wilder, and Fury, why wouldn't they fight? They're building the fight. They're trying to get as much money out of that fight as possible. Well, I mean, because we could, we, could, we could be talking why 100 million. Why should I give you 60% like, yeah. when I could get 60%? Yeah. All right, why don't you do 50-50? No, because now, Josh, you've had a loss. I've never had a loss. Yeah. I want 60%. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it. It's egos. And it's, you know, you're not going to be boxing, yeah. but you want that money to last you. Well, yeah, and the thing is, well, that pie is getting split. That, that you, pie is going in different. You get a million pounds for a fight. Mm-hmm. Which is rare. If you get one, then you've got to give your coach 10%. Yep. Um, you have an agent in there? You have an agent in there to take some sort of percentage, yep. promoter fee. Camps, camp uh, fees for the camps. Ma- manager fee, stuff. fees for the camps. Yeah. When I went to Big Bear, Tax. I dread <laughs> to think what it cost us to go there for, yeah. for 11 weeks. How, how many of you? Uh, there was me, the boxer, the coach. Because yeah. like, people are like, look, especially when you're younger. Partners, they were getting paid on a daily yeah. basis as well as they yeah. were. Yeah. So like young people listening, right? I know a million pounds sounds like a lot, and I knock don't want to knock the. Then fact you got to pay tax on it. Yeah, exactly. So half of it's pretty much gone already. <laughs> but like, look, like a million dollars when you're paying a lot of people's salaries and you're paying tax, million dollar million goes fucking fast. Like if you've got a few people employed, and you've got, and you're paying tax on it, and you've got to accommodate people and pay for people's lunch, like money doesn't go fucking far. Like that million goes. 
you know, like really, in, in you really do the these, these boxers have to do a business plan, and that's why you hear mm. a lot of boxers in the days gone by uh, that have gone bust. And then again, you're saying, why does he need that agent and that agent and that agent? Well, most boxers, not all of them, aren't very well educated. They haven't gone to business school, so they don't know how to handle their money and where to invest it. Yep. Whereas if you've got an agent who can negotiate for you and say, mm. oh, mate, he's only offering you a million, you can get two million for that. Yep. Let me go negotiate. Look, I didn't get you two million, but I got you 1.5, and this is how we're going to split it. Then it's well worth the fees. Yes. Um, I, I have an agent, I, you know, I have an agent with books, man. She's like, she's fucking fantastic. Like, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am without, you know, without her. Because some people, I think they see agents and stuff and they think, oh, it's Alicia. No, it's absolutely not. It's like, to be honest, she's like, um, it's like a, well, like a friend, but also like a, a guide. And I, dude, I can't, I, I, I struggle with, with, with paperwork on stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, I can write books. But don't ask me to fill out tax return. <laughs> I, I struggle with that stuff. So, like, I think it's, you know, accountants, managers, agents, you know, they're all worth it. The, 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 the team works. The teamwork makes the dream work. You need a good team around you. Right. That's a good place to finish on, mate. Will you come back on and do another one of this, mate? I'll put well, you on I'll the do spot. This whenever you want, mate. Awesome. Thanks, bro. Um, right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Baz, thanks so much for coming on, You're mate. Welcome, I fucking really you. enjoyed thank that, mate. Um, guys, just, um, just a little bit of housekeeping before we, we wrap up. And uh, no, hey, keep don't fucking press pause now. Keep listening, keep listening, please. <laughs> right, bit of housekeeping. Well, um, guys, if you could bring us bring us a friend to the podcast, if you enjoyed today, tell a mate about it. Someone that's in a boxing, someone that's in a fitness, someone that's in essence bootnecks or essence pongos. Bring them to the podcast, please. Make a share on social media, any of that kind of stuff. You can find. Oh, and hang on, wait one sec. <laughs> You can find you can find Baz at State of Mind Fitness. Stateofmindfitness.com, yep. Stateofmindfitness.com. Uh, I'll go and I'll put some stuff up on social media as well. Um, you know where to find me at gijbooks.com. Um, and if you want to support the podcast in a financial way, if you'd like to buy Brothers in Arms, it's in Tesco, it's in Sainsbury's, it's in Asda, it's in Waterstones, it's in WH Smiths, and it's on Amazon. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for your support, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Thank you.